Hello and welcome to the Vlogging Pod. Tonight we are starting a three podcast series with KL Coleridge. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> well, we'll be under. <laughs> yes, you are. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> so tonight we're going to be undertaking a little bit of an interesting take, and I thought that this would be particularly interesting for fans of your work. So we're going to do careful. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. A little short take on that one. Uh, we're going to do character interviews from the book of Hal Sebastian, The Hadron Legacy, book one, because that's what I've been reading. But I also know that these characters carry on through the series, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, let's start off talking with Lucia. Am I pronouncing that right? Yep, Lucia. Awesome. <laughs> I don't normally get them all right, but great. <laughs> so tonight, let's start off talking to Lucia. Uh, Lucia, what I'd love to know is how do you see yourself as far as your physical appearances? Um, well, I guess I would probably have to just answer this as the author because, um, <laughs> because I... <laughs> I wanted Lucia to be, um, I wanted her to be kind of ghostly in appearance. And this all really um, stems from the regions. I had particularly wanted there to be some prejudice against a certain people group. And so I chose the people group from the north. And I thought, you know, if there were a bunch of individuals with uh, more pigmentation to their skin in the majority of the map, then naturally speaking, if they were a reclusive society, you wouldn't normally see someone as pale as Lucia. And what would be the things that would come to mind? Probably look corpse or drained of blood. So even though within Borelli culture, Lucia is seen as fairly attractive to rather attractive in the in the traditional like Erinthian uh, society, she is seen as a, a little bit jarring to look at. Nice. That's um that's just that's astounding to me. This just takes um racism and a total switch and a total different light. I really like that. I like that a lot. Um so as long as we're talking about uh Lucia's traits, uh, Lucia, what would you say is your strongest character trait or the author? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard for me to talk in their like personality. That's I'm better at typing that to be honest. <laughs> I, you know, I gave Lucia a lot of, a lot of the traits that I wish that I had. Okay. Um, some of those on a physicality side would be her, you know, just her general, like her state of balance that she can actually just be athletic. Um, I'm not an athletic person. Um, so from a, from a physical side, Lucia has a lot of strengths in terms of her abilities, both skilled and um, those gifted to her by her heritage. Um, she, for those who have read the book, know um, she comes from a region that has a bit heightened sense of, well, every sense is a bit heightened. They're a little bit faster, a bit stronger, they heal faster. And then her blood, particularly because of her ancestry, is even more heightened. So she, as like a, as a, an opponent, is already coming in with a lot of physical strengths. Um, but from a, a, like her actual character nature, I feel like her strongest character trait is her ability 
to um to do what's right or seek out to do it's right and she doesn't always get that uh learning how to apologize and how to grow but um in that i pair that with a love for other people and so that's something that has been more of a learned trait in my personal life um, I have a, a great desire for justice and to do what's correct, but sometimes it's at the cost of other people's feelings. And so I wanted to give her just a touch of softness that I hope will grow over time um, that I don't necessarily always harbor in my own life. Right. That's interesting. Um, you talk about her from where she, for her region, for is she, she's fast healing, I'm taking it. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So in this region, there's something that will be revealed in the book I'm writing right now, the third book, um, that basically is in their ground, it's in their soil, it's in their blood. It's something that gives them um, just basically a, a better sense of humanity. And what I mean by that is like a stronger, more in, endurable sense of humanity. So so they, like I said, they heal a little bit uh, faster their eyesight's a little bit better, every, their hearing, all those types of things. And it's it's not as magical in the sense of, you know, spells and witches and stuff like that. It's more like something in their region has basically gifted them with this, and it's just so natural to them. But it's not common, and it's not spoken about. Um, and in, in fact, it's rather protected. And so she alludes to this in, in the first book, a little bit more in the second book, and as they um, continue to travel the map, uh, in the third book, we reveal it more and more where that origin is. Okay. So as far as making uh, Lucia weak, would you see um, fear as making her weak? And what fear do you see is the weakest for her? That makes her the weakest? She, she definitely, yeah, she definitely can be uh, immobilized by fear. Uh, her fear, most of all, she, I would say that she has two primary fears. The first one, which is innate in her natural wiring, is a fear of failure. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, oh, yeah. especially an individual who is typically thinking about life in terms of black and white. Um, those of us who grew up um, struggling to understand the gray complexity, especially within moral issues or predicaments, um, things of that nature, she she will always struggle with the idea of not choosing the right thing or finding on the back end, if anything, that she chose wrong. And so sometimes that fear of failure can be, it can be, like I said, immobilizing or it can trap her from moving forward or thinking quickly or following her gut. Um, she, her secondary fear, which is, I would say just as big, especially in the first book, is... Um, what's alluded to is there is some previous trauma that occurred to her. And so in her interactions with other people, there's always a wall up. Um, she doesn't like to be touched. She doesn't like uh, those things. And so in her actual combat, that becomes an issue um, where she is so, uh, as a, in a predator, uh, predator sense, she is so, um, so much stronger than all of her opponents, but there's this weakness in her, um, that if she's touched in certain ways, uh, even in combat, she just falls apart. So um, that I thought would be a very realistic um, complication of someone with her past. Right. Well, 
I have to be honest there. I am a black and white type person too. I, my mother always says. Me too. <laughs> yeah, see, my, my mom always says, you have no middle ground. You're either up or you're down and you blame yourself for everything. And I'll be telling you what, the last couple of days I've been dealing with some software issues and I have been really feeling the failure part. <laughs> so. Well, Lucia can relate to you. That's pretty much all she thinks about when she lays her head on her pillow at night is how did I fail today? Not how, that would be her outlook at the end of every day, just naturally is not her laying down, going to sleep thinking, how did I succeed today? Um, it would be how did I fail? today and we're basically taking inventory of that every single day right well lucia and i could share some therapy fees (laughs) (laughs) yeah we could go off to therapy together because you know i'm thinking so these last few days i'm telling you and it would take me way longer than our 20-minute podcast (laughs) to talk about it um so we know about my obsession right now to talk about that so tell me um tell me the most or Lucia's obsession. What would you say is Lucia's biggest obsession? For the most part, <laughs> excuse me. Her, her whole identity, at least at least at this point in the series, uh, in the first book or two, is her whole identity is wrapped around a this thing that I have not fully revealed to the reader yet. It's a, it's it is the most primal and um fundamental aspect to who she is um and who her people are and it's been it's a secret basically to them okay so there's a part of her that none of her none of her counterparts will ever know her fully until they learn about this thing um but secondly her whole identity is wrapped up in her duty so as uh as in the first book alhadrin so like the coming the the next Hadron, she hasn't yet taken that seat yet. She, it's kind of like Junior. It's like a Hadron Junior, um, it, which is an ambassador to her house. Um, her whole identity growing up has been under the notion that she will play this role in society for her people. So there's the burden of an entire uh, nation, if you will, on her shoulders. And so Um, That would be her obsession. Every single move she makes is going to be under the pressure of what will this do for my people? What does this do in terms of how I'm seen by my deity um, to whom she, you know, believes and gives everything? How how does this um, position me with my predecessor, the current Hadrian, her aunt? Um, who's also like her mentor um, and only mother figure. So it, her whole obsession is her duty and her rightness in that duty. Um, whereas some of her other <laughs> her other counterparts on the quadrant, the other Hadrons from their regions, they don't necessarily carry that uh, that burden the same way. <laughs> some of them drink themselves to death and some of them punch people. <laughs> but Lucia uh, takes it extremely to her theology and so there's a whole other component with lucia um that the others do not carry with them okay so i would love to take a moment and talk about lucia's family what does hers consist of so at present she has um she has a father who is uh, the leader of her region of her house. Um, he's the the clan Dare, which is basically it just means like the high clansman who speaks for 
all the clans, um, like if there's a president, right, mm -hmm. um, his, their last name, his last name is Dare. And so every person who would take on that role, it would be clan whatever, like double N. Um, so like if my last name was Smith, it'd be like clan Smith. But anyways, so her father is the leader of that region. Um, her mother died or went missing. There's a, not a lot of clarity early on in the books about that. It's kind of this um, cold case, if you will, okay. um, that is intentionally a cold case. Um, <laughs> and then she has a younger brother who's uh, like two and a half to three years younger than her. Um, they share some some of those feelings of duty. Um, he's a, a lucksmith, which is basically a fancy blacksmith who creates all these ingenious and tricky, uh, mischievous weapons. And uh, so he, he has a love for that. And he makes her all these really cool weapons that she can hide on her person and carry into Bastion, the crown city, where uh, their lux iron, their specialty uh, or wouldn't normally be confiscated. So he's an asset in the family. And then uh, her mother's sister, her aunt, is her predecessor in the first book, The Current Hadron. Okay. Now, as for family, as you mentioned, uh, would you say they were nurturing, or would you think it was more just about her duties? I think that, like, in her build, there there is predominantly the emphasis on duty because it is so interwoven with their whole faith system. It's so interwoven. It's almost, you can't like disentangle it. Um, it, it should be disentangled, but to an extent it's not because of how their society is built. And so there's this natural emphasis on that always, especially through the um, kind of adoption of her aunt in in the absence of, a, of a, her mother, at the death of her mother, her aunt Alora steps into that role, who would naturally play a mentor role anyways, but now is filling the shoe of a mother figure as well. Alora is a colder figure. She's more stern, more solemn. She plays everything close to her chest, is not as emotional uh, in nurturing as her mother. And so in the book I'm writing right now, the third book, Lucia reflects on the few memories she has of her mother, which is completely counter. Um, her mother was this very whimsical individual who would tell fantastical stories and uh, would pretend to be a, like a little wolf with her in the woods and like did all these fanciful things to the point of of silliness. Um, and so in her mother's memory, her father, the warmth that Lucia felt growing up in her against the sternness of her aunt's mentorship comes from her father. Her father is this kind of imposing leader figure. But when the door closes, he becomes a big teddy bear and would be the father who would scoop you up in his arms and hold you by the fire. Um, and so she she has been exposed to a healthy, nurturing man in her life. Um, and that was really important for me to preserve that in Lucia's story. Otherwise, A, I think she would become a brick wall. Um, and B, because that's something in my own story, in my own life that has been um, intrinsic to my own healing. And had I not had that in my own father, I don't know what my story would have been today. So I wanted to make sure that Lucia still had that. Right. Now, I think, and I'm, this is off the top of my head, so <laughs> bear with me. Um, <laughs> as we talk about Lucia and you, you refer to the houses or their clans, I am thinking that, I know we have a, a three podcast event with you, 
And I think what would be great, mm-hmm. um, just for the last bit of this, we have like five minutes left. I would love to hear more about Lucia's clan and how it is made up. And probably for our next podcast, and you tell me what you think about this, we could go more in depth with the clans, with the uh, houses, if you would like to. Because I would love to hear more about their buildup and just everything that you can tell us without ruining too much of your stories. (laughs) I would love to have like a story time of of the houses. So tell us about Lucia's house, if we can. So Lucia comes from the House of Boreal. It's in the northern region. And so their political structure within their own territory. Well, let me back up. The way the houses work is in the history of Arinthia. Um, after this, what they call the Forgotten Wars, the land is devastated. What they call war taint, which you could equate to like a nuclear fallout and radiation has kind of devastated the face of of the earth. And so over time, as the earth heals, people groups have gathered together to survive that. And so the ones who cared about their cultures would naturally intermarry within their own um, culture, right? To preserve that. Because we know naturally, as as you mesh different people groups together, new traditions are born. And while there's nothing wrong with that, typically the old is, is... is let go and lost into time well people groups that want to preserve that old heritage or aspects of that heritage would naturally cluster amongst themselves the the downside of that is that they would have fewer numbers it would not be as able to protect themselves Um, their armed forces would be less they'd have less resources they can't cultivate the land as widespread and so naturally then an area that would be less focused about preserving culture would um would continue to um, to repopulate the earth by connecting and forming alliances with people who don't look like them, eventually forming kind of a new race of people. And so in the political structure, we have four houses. Um, the main house, Bastion, is where the, the Regency is born out of. That's the largest force. That's the one who they kind of let go of their any old ancient culture. They've multiplied with anybody and everybody who they could gather in. And now the culture has been born and has been enduring for hundreds of years. The outskirt territories, we have the House of Boreal, House of Pilar, and House of Derekai. Those are smaller, uh, yet independent uh, territories, and they basically have treaties and alliances with the House of Bastion because they get protection, they get extra resources, whatever. And so in their political setup, they have a Hadron who represents their house, and then they advise the king on their behalf. So Lucia is from the north. She's from the House of Boreal. I set it up like a peninsula because I'm from Michigan, (laughs) and that was kind of like my way of um, showing my love for Michigan. Um, I also made their terrain like the highlands, um, but a a wooded highland, so as if Scotland had never deforested themselves. And um, and I also would one of my dreams is to the reels full of these monstrous goliath trees which uh people have heard about in the first book but get to encounter in the third book they actually dwell inside them so it's like this city of tree houses but instead of houses built onto trees the trees are so large that they are actually carved out from within um which is kind of neat um and like all these like rope rope 
uh, swings and everything between. So in the political structure within her own house, it, there are different clans. And so her father is the leader of those clans. And um, and then there is a kind of elite force of warriors um, that Lucia has trained with called the Najan. And there's an island off the coast of that Highland Peninsula where they train and where they kind of occupy themselves. And, and so the Najan are this elite cast of warriors who can kind of mesh into the shadows. They can walk very, very silently. They have an endurance like nobody else. Um, and so her house is kind of regarded as a force, but they're incredibly isolated because of this thing that exists up there. They are, have very closed borders. They're very suspicious of outsiders. In fact, they don't allow outsiders at, in, in at all, unlike the other houses. Other houses allow sometimes people to come in and trade. Boyle's completely closed off except to their king if he has to come. <laughs> and so... Um, they get a rap for being these mystic kind of people because there's all these weird things about them. People know that they can hear things that aren't there or they can see things or they have all these herbs that kind of glow. And so there's all these rumors that the rest of the realm develop over time and they eventually pick up a derogatory slur, uh, Yazidi, which means like filthy ice witch. So it's this people group that you rarely see anywhere else in the blended parts of of the realm they are extremely pale and that's really just because of their region um and because of genetics if they're a smaller people group and i wanted to preserve um certain recessive traits like um recessive traits like uh being a redhead or something like that they would have to to dominate the gene pool so mostly people have light colored hair red blonde or very very pale uh, brown um, and light eyes. And so when they come into the lower areas of the realm, they're, they're which is rare, they're seen as walking corpses, essentially. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, I have got another idea, but um, I might have to take it to you when we're off the air. <laughs> <laughs> because I... I'll be honest with you. I thought when we did this, we would do like a character and have the character. Yeah. But I really kind of like hearing you talk about the worlds. I really do. Um, I think this is what pulled me in the last time because I was like, well, it's a big world. <laughs> it is. And I like it. I like hearing you talk about it. Um, so it was a delight having you in. We are going to have you back um, the week after next. So please, if you're a fan of KL, please tune in. If you have extra questions, you're always entitled to put them into the room. I can shout them out. Also on Wisdom, we can get you up on the mic, and I would love that interaction. Thank you so much, KL, for coming on tonight. And again, I've got a few more ideas that I think might be fun. So we'll get with you on that. Um, thank you again, everyone, for coming in tonight. We'll see you again here soon. Have a great evening. Bye-bye for now.